we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Waramai and Wanarua peoples. We acknowledge the Waramai and Wanarua elders, both past and present. Yeah, it's not. We're not here to entertain. We're just here to have a bit of a chat. Yeah, no worries. I'll work on my radio voice now. <laughs> on the field for the Newcastle Knights. Darren Tracy's first touch of the footy. Now Andrew John. Strikes a little hole himself. He's close. Right. He reaches out. That's a tie to Andrew John. Root streak from the little halfback. And that's a good reward for a great game in his debut match for the Newcastle Knights in first grade. Andrew John scores the try and that should wrap it up for the night. Coming to you live from Oromai, Wanarua and Ewan Lands, this is the Bay 53 Podcast, part of the Sport Best Friends Podcasting Network, brought to you by A-plus Contracting and Poly Welding. Unfortunately, the men's season is not yet over, but fortunately, the women's season has started with the Thunder. Yes, the men's team went down valiantly and with great effort against the Raiders, but the, it was the women who left fans at McDonald Jones Stadium going home happy with a famous first-up win over Brisbane. Now, for such a great occasion, we've brought along a Looney Clunes member to deconstruct a weekend of Newcastle Knights footy. Bretto, it's good news, bad news as always with the Knights. But yeah, it was great news on Sunday night, the way the uh, the evening finished. Yeah, what a what a performance, you know. Like obviously, even though the Broncos aren't the defending primaries, they're still three out of four, the uh, the yardstick of the competition, and the girls really didn't let them in the game other for about five minutes. So that because that uh, on Sunday night that was really, I think that was only the second regular season game that the Broncos have ever lost in the history of the NRLW. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. They they lost one game last year, and then you know they had the um, the. Uh, Big upset in the finals, but no, they um they they really were up for Brisbane. They were quite physical at times, but the girls matched them, and you know it was really really promising signs that the young forwards really got in and stuck it to them. Now, uh, as I did say in our intro, mate, we um, for such a big occasion, a sort of we wanted to make sure that we gave the women the appropriate sort of analysis and uh, informed discussion uh, that only this podcast can deliver. So, um, yeah, we brought along one of the uh, one of the insiders from our uh, famed Looney Clunes chat, um, Harvey G, has has joined us for a chat this evening. Uh, thanks for coming along, Harves. No worries. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're um, look. We're still in one piece. As, as I said, it, it's it's a classic case of well, no, it's not a classic case because today was a weird one where I could be proud of the club despite the men sort of not uh, not aiming up for eighty minutes of, of footy. It was it was something of a weird feeling for me today. Yeah, no, um, I definitely sort of felt the same. Um, I definitely felt uh, more positive about the club as a whole after listening to uh, Ronnie Griffiths and Millie in their the press conference after their win. Mm. Um, yeah, the the way they sort of talked about how the club, um, uh, the the direction the club is going uh, going in as a whole, um, the the way everyone sort of got behind the women's game. Um, you saw like the the men sort of formed a 
a, a guard of honor for the ladies and clapped them out when they went on. So um, yeah, I, I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet last night. Uh, actually, I think we posted it on the account. We said it's always um, it's always good, good to see reserve grade clapping first grade onto the field. <laughs> hey, mate! Before we do get into everything Newcastle Knights, I want to put you on the spot. I, I'm always fascinated by. You might have listened to us a couple of times. I'm always fascinated by how people got roped. Uh, into the torturous existence that is being a Knights fan. Um, but I like your, I, I love your story in particular. Share as many or as few details as you want. What got you sort of hooked on uh, on the Newcastle Knights Rugby League Football Club? Yeah, um, so growing up, uh, my my dad raised me to, to be a Souths fan, sort of really drilled that into me. Um, uh, around the late 90s, though, um, as we all know, the, the Rabbitohs got kicked out of the comp. And my dad sort of in his, you know, his despair and desolation sort of said, you know, that's it. It's over. They're never going to be back. Souths are gone. You know, you can find a new club if you want. And um, I sort of being a, well, um, I looked at the map <laughs> where we live. So we, uh, I'm from Tari. Um, looking at the map, seeing uh, Newcastle was the closest city geographically um and being given permission to follow a team with andrew johns in it <laughs> i sort of grabbed it with both hands uh, and then uh yeah south came back a couple of years later and um <laughs> i got very used to following a team that was good <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah i think the old man expected me to come back but i did not <laughs> I uh, see. I always love that story. The, the thing I love about that story, and I, I always appreciate that there's some geographical proximity to, proximity to it. But I, I just love the fact that you were drawn to the great man. Like, I, oh, yeah. I, like there's there's just something about a Knights fan saying it was Andrew Johns who hooked me on this club, and I just haven't been able to give it up ever since. Despite how awful we've become, <laughs> that to me just illustrates even more greatness that is Andrew Joey Johns. Yeah, he was my hero. Well, he's still my hero. Um, boys, it's been, uh, look, it's been yet another sort of fascinating week um, to be a Newcastle Knights fan. Um, so much has sort of happened um, since, you know, so much has sort of happened over the past few weeks. Brett, I, I want to I bring you in on this. What is your take in terms of where the men's team is at at the moment with, um, their discipline. It was sort of it was a big deal last week uh, in terms of Tuala and Bradman uh, being dropped for the for the for last week's game um, because they were late to the team bus. Good thing, bad thing. Does the club really need this attention at the moment, or is this, a, a, if anything, a great opportunity to start putting those things in place? Because you're like, well, there's such a shitstorm going on with the club. We might as well just um, jump in while the water's still extremely warm. I mean, I'm, I'm in two minds because it's one of those things where it's a small thing and you sort of think you should be missing games for being late for a bus. But it's obviously little details like that which have grown into the discipline problem we have. So I think that it's got to the point where the club just gone, well, we have to pick up the little things. We have to get every little detail right so that nothing is accepted. So then because the, that, that's the only way you build it with the point to the point where the big things don't happen. The big things happen because they get away with the little stuff. So I, I hope, I hope that the club have just gone, well, we just need to draw a line in the sand and go, no one's getting away with anything. Every little minor detail will be punished. And, I, and personally, I think that, I personally think you should be punished. If you're, 
you're a professional anything. In your job, you don't turn up for a meeting, you know, at a place you're supposed to be on time. You should be punished. They would turn, had to turn up for – their employer told them to turn up at a certain time to get on a bus so they could make a plane home, and they didn't do it. That's it's, a discipline problem. It's still something that rugby league – and I think professional sport in general, but particularly rugby league – struggles with like where they still don't know where the line is between wanting to be a traditional rugby or a traditional a traditional a traditional rugby league club but accepting that it's a professional era because what you say is absolutely right it's such a small thing but with, with whatever it's the case with small things you say you could go one of two ways you're like it's not a big deal it's such a small thing why are you overreacting but the flip side to that is it's such a small thing. It's no big deal. Why is it so hard for you to get it right? I um yeah. Well, we I also sort of... don't know why they were late. Were they were they late because they'd been out all night and hadn't got back to the hotel yet? Were they late because mm. they'd gone to someone's house? You know, like we don't know why they were late. You know, like it's not just a simple case of they didn't turn. Like they, the bus was at the hotel for them to get the get the bus to the airport. So they weren't at the hotel in the morning. They were coming home. To me, that says they're out all night. So did I they? Think, did, um... I think it's pretty significant as well. What I think Peter Path put his hand up and said that was sort of his his call to an extent. Um, you know, in consultation. And he was with, famous with, for that at the Cowboys in the early days. Yeah. He was famous for picking them up on everything. I remember Jonathan Thurston used to bitch and moan when he first when Thurston first got the Cowboys about how much they would find him little amounts and and stuff because he would do Jonathan Thurston things and yeah, yeah be late for meetings. Um, you know. Dodge, dodge bloody um, sponsor visits, dodge school visits, and first and become the player he came because of Peter Pyle's little niggly penalties and stuff. I'm just because I'm, I'm it, it, so much has sort of happened over the past sort of few weeks. I'm trying to like I, I'm almost at the point now where I'm like like that was the only controversy since the last time we recorded, right? Like because <laughs> I think because I think last time we actually recorded, um, you know, the 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 Kurt Man Kalen Ponga thing had um, had happened. Um, just quickly, also boys, shout out to the people that put the uh, memorial on the Dunny door. I actually follow that guy on Twitter. Um, he uh, he um, uh, advertises himself as uh, former former comedian from uh, Newcastle, but he's still firing. It's so funny you should say that though, Brett, because I was like, I'm not going to lie to you. I was I was fuming when I first saw that because I was like, ah, fucking Newcastle. We we still love to lay the boot into our own. This is bullshit. <laughs> but um, but no, you got to admit that is actually a good game. It's, it's just taking the piss in the new it's, way. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's too funny <laughs> to <laughs> to get too mad at it. Yeah, um, but like the the con- well, it's not really controversy. I guess out of that um, or following on from that, sorry, the the two things are separate. Uh, separate is news started to filter through that um, Tyson Gamble of all players, the um, the the famous mulleted man from the Brisbane Broncos, is on the outer to the, in, at the Broncos to the extent that the Knights are now looking to sign him. There are reports filtering through over the weekend that. Uh, the Knights have not only signed him, but it looks like we've signed him to a uh, to a three year deal. Uh, Tyson Gamble, Alex, I'll throw this over to you because I know that you've got some fairly um, informed or at least fairly detailed thoughts on the topic. Uh, Gamble to Newcastle, good thing, bad thing. Um, well, I think if you look at uh, how the roster is shaping up for next year, 
we got two two halves um, in the top 30. One of them uh, spent a significant portion of the portion of the season out through you know personal issues and has been very very inconsistent. And uh, the other one, um, I think he's you know he slogged his guts out. He's played really well, but I think there's been signs that um, the full you know, the, the going through the rigors of the full NRL season is, I think, it's taken a bit of a toll on him. Um, he's uh, begun to struggle physically a, a, a little bit, I think. I know he's carrying that knee injury, so it's uh, probably not fair to judge him too much on that. But either way, um, it's a bit rough going into the season next year with two halves. Um, we have to get another one. The best off-contract half is probably Jock Madden, who uh, didn't hasn't impressed too much, I don't think, in his um, opportunities for the Tigers. And, and the, cl- the club knows him well past him as a junior. That, that's yeah. with the Jock Madden thing. I always go, well, the club knows him as well as the Tigers know him, and they passed on him, and they yeah. don't want him. So I'm, I'm happy to go with him on that. Yeah, so then you got uh, Gamble, who, you know, in a in a perfect world, I'd like to be able to, you know, get be getting in Nathan Cleary, Mitch Moses, <laughs> someone <laughs> like that, but... Um, Andrew Johns. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I'd settle for settle for Joey, but Gamble. I think all the things that uh, a lot of our fans take the most issue with, uh, you know, us included at the moment, the the team just not showing the heart, the desire, um, the competitiveness, not sticking their tackles. You won't get that from um, from Gamble. My take on him is that. Uh, if we could get the best out of Clifford every week, uh, Clifford would be the best half at the club. But Gamble has been close to, you know, he's been at least a 7 or 8 out of 10 every week that he's played, that I've seen him play. Um, he's, you know, he's not afraid of the moment. He, he goes looking for the ball. Um, I, I think he'll be very popular. He's competitive. With He's I think the big thing about it, he's competitive, you know. Like yeah. to me, he'd be an animal on the training paddock. You know, he'd be yeah. he'd be racing the coach. You know, off to get a bottle of water, that sort of guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I, I just I, look. I, I don't see it. Uh, I still haven't gotten on board. I mean, this is the bloke to, from my mind that we used to like. We we were laughing at the Broncos for having to rely on this guy in the in the halves, and a sort of. Like I'm there for the I'm there for the effort I'm there for the mongrel, um, but I'm just I'm just not there for the cut snake aspect. And I sort of like because you ran some stats past us in the Looney Clunes, Alex, and you did point out that from an attacking perspective, he delivers like and he probably delivers more than what our current halves do. I think the issue for me though is that and because I said something to you similar over the weekend where I'm like sometimes these stats aren't a stat for stat like mm. like. There's been a lot happening at the Broncos this year that, from my perspective, I mean, we do it all the time. From my perspective, I, I, I firmly believe if you put Jake Clifford in that um, Brisbane Broncos team this year, I, I've got every faith he doesn't play as inconsistently. You know, we always say, you know, if you put Kalen Ponger in a, in a Penrith Panthers or a Melbourne Storm, you know, everybody would be lauding him as the greatest. And he wouldn't have to do anything different. He'd probably do exactly the same stats, but because the wins would be around him, it would make his performance look better. So, I mean, I, I was sort of a bit, um, ab- no, sorry, I was vehemently against the um, the Jack Hetherington 
um, signing. Bredo, you um, brought me around on that, and I can I can see where that's coming from. But at least when when it came to Jack, you sort of pointed out, no, no, the, the, like this is a forward that has the leg speed that just needs to sort of sort of get it right, um, that right mentality, or at least just take that edge off and and he'll be a key mark. I don't see enough of what Tyson Gamble delivers for us to sort of say, well, if you just if you just calm this area of his game down, he'll be the half that we need. I just I just haven't seen it yet. I, I think it's a very I think you said it best, Bretto, when you said, look, he's a he's he's a great depth half, but from what you're sort of saying, Harvey, um he, he wouldn't be a depth half. He'd probably be a half that we'd be relying on. And I think as a club, as for the Newcastle Knights, that's not a position that we really want to be in. Yeah, I think I think he starts at halfback next year if he's at if he's with us, I'm pretty confident that's what would happen. Really, you don't think? Because I, th- I think I think Brooks is a fake and play. I think Brooks is coming. You think they play okay. Gamble over Brooks? Well, they might put the six on Gamble's back, um, but I reckon Gamble would probably touch the ball more and get into first receiver a bit more and sort of bring bring Brooks onto the ball a bit. So, um, you know, the numbers not might be might not be six and seven, but the player who is playing as the halfback a bit more, I think would be Gamble. Yeah, okay. See I, I don't disagree with that. I think I think you're pretty close there. My my thing with the gamble is that to me, because we're we you know we've basically bottomed out this year. Yeah. So I don't think anyone's got expectations of us being a top four team next year. To me, Gamble's a guy that can come in at the low points of a season and and pump some energy into your team. Hmm. You know, he, you know, he can, he can come on, you know, he can come on during that origin period and come on late, late in the season if your season's dead or you, you got a few injuries and really pump some energy into the team. But I, and I don't, but I, I personally don't think the club have any intention of him starting the halves next year. I think, you know, we'll, we'll get onto it later. There's a, you know, there's an option for a fullback to come and KP to go to six. And yeah, I think Gamble to me is, um, him and Clune will be fighting it out for the third string half. <laughs> Well, you, you've, you've mentioned it, Bredo, or at least you've been, let's, let's just get straight into it. So, because when it comes to the everything Newcastle Knights, you know, Newcastle Knights generate clicks and there's nothing like a, a recruiting, um, a Knights recruitment story to really get those clicks happening. So not only are we sort of just coming to terms with the idea of a Tyson Gamble playing for the Newcastle Knights, but then again, word starts to filter through, through the media that um, not only is Tyson Gamble coming to the to the Knights, but KP wants to move into the into the number six jersey so that we can make room for Ruben Garrick. Now, I think, and when you first told me about this half, I I pondered it. I think I said to you, I need some time. My main issue was that I'd been pretty vehement uh, online to point out that he wasn't uh, anything close to the fullback that uh, Kalen Ponger was. But the more I thought about it, that was see that was a move to me that made sense. That that was a, that was a a, a recruitment uh, that improved our squad because it, it freed up uh, KP from an attacking perspective, but it filled that that fullback perspective where Ruben Garrick has shown this year he's not he's not only a, just a, um, a a relatively safe replacement for for Tom. Dubojevic, he's he's probably earned the right to be one of the sixteen starting fullbacks in the NRL. Yeah, he's like if um if Dylan Edwards, you know, made the same meters but also didn't blow all his two on two on one. <laughs> and he kicks goals. Which, and he kicks goals. Yeah, he's, which, he's sharp. You know, he's and, and he's versatile. Dylan Dylan Edwards is purely a fullback. He can play yeah. 
fullback cent, uh, center wing. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we saw against the Raiders was that goal kicking in the end was actually the difference for us on Sunday. If we were able to land a few more conversions, you know, maybe if you're going into halftime at sort of with a 16-point lead or even an 18-point lead as opposed to just that that really sort the of... infamous uh, 14 points. The infamous 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that sort of um, mirage of a, of a safe lead. You, could, uh, you called it halftime, mate. You said 14 is the death lead. And we, we, <laughs> we've, we've done it a couple of times. We've come back from 14 down. We did it to Canberra. We did it to someone else. Um, yeah, 14 is the death lead. It really is. But but Ruben Garrick, because the thing, because and what confused me about the Ruben Garrick news, though, was that, well, we've just been told Tyson Gamble's coming to the Knights because we've got a halves shortage, but we're going to do that as well as put KP in the halves. So now all of a sudden we're going to have four or five halves so that we can bring Ruben Garrick in to play at fullback. So... I, I still maintain something, and as you said, uh, as you said, Bredo, you Luke Brooks is coming to the club. So uh, uh, now all of a sudden we're going to have this just um, vast array of options in the one, six, and seven position. Something just something just doesn't add up. Something just doesn't feel right about about what the club is purportedly doing. You know, I reckon. Sorry, I reckon it'll be Brooks or or Garrick. Two irons in the fire. You have got two two players that need a release. So rather than just sort of trying to get one and ending up with nothing. I think I think that Adam O'Brien has learnt this year that we need Nico Hines types, guy, guys that can play multiple positions, um, because we've had the shuffle. We've had guys literally playing out of position because we've had no one else. But, and, that, you know, I think he really has learnt the Melbourne way of you, you, you have guys that play multiple positions and then hopefully they excel somewhere, which is what Melbourne, you know, have done, and um, you know that's how they've essentially produced their spine. Um, I I think, and I, I I disagree with with Harvey on that one. I think that there's a real chance the uh, the Haas and fullback next should be Garrick one, Ponga six, Brooks seven, and maybe Gamble fourteen. Ooh. half. I think it just comes down to whether we got the cap space because I reckon. It's oh, cap, probably cap about... space. Unless we're paying, paying insane money, cap, yeah. cap space is not an issue. Yeah. Well, if anything, I actually get the impression we probably have more. I think we'll have more room in cap space next year because, and look, I'm only speculating this. Correct me if I'm wrong. I do have a tendency to get the cap issues wrong. But isn't there some sort of rule that you you have to pay 95, but at least 95% of your cap every yeah. year? Yeah. Yeah. So so we're so we're we're at we're at that bottom limit. Yeah. So we but, so we've got that. So apparently, um, we we paid the bottom limit, and our big contracts are, have all been we've all paid chips off that in advance for next year. And that was what I was going to say. So aren't we aren't we even even more in credit where we're going to have to spend even yeah. more money next year? Yeah. Um, which sort of opens and the up. cap's going up too. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. The the in fact they've started reporting that a lot more yeah. recently. Um. So yeah. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt next year we have well over a million in cap space and cl- getting closer to one and a half, maybe above that. I also think that there'll be a lot of um, guys on the fringes that are under two and three year deals that might be out the door. From Newcastle? Yeah, or just Brody in general? Jones type. So, so the guys that are still contracted. Jack Johns. Yeah, you know, Jack Johns, exactly. He's another one. Um, obviously, Clifford, if he goes, there's another three or 400,000 that'll be available. I think I think Gamble is the Clifford replacement in terms of um, 
we're just getting another half in because they know Cliff's gone. And then, they'll, then they've still got to try and find the actual starting halves and fullback. So, yeah, so that's actually an interesting thing you say because we've been sort of talking about uh, Brooks and Gamble and, and Garrett coming in on the basis that no one's leaving. But it would make sense if, if Clifford, if it's just not working out for Clifford in Newcastle, He's the one that decides to make way, and that makes more than enough room for to for the Knights to bring in all three of Garrick, Clifford, and Brooks. I, uh, yeah, I personally, I don't think there's any way we're chasing Gamble if they think Clifford's staying. Yeah, yeah, no, that would make sense. They do have a fair fair bit in common. How so? They play. Uh, they're both sort of big. Uh, Bruce got a big boot. They're both. Uh, their best attribute when they're they're playing well is sort of how they physically sort of impose themselves on the game. Um, I actually reckon Gamble's a better a better ball player close to the line. Um, I think his pass selection's a bit better. Uh, he has a bit a bit better of a feel for pulling the trigger. It's just um, the, the, can the, I, the ceiling is a lot lower. Can so I ask you? This one's like the more natural footballer, doesn't he? But Gamble seems to get more right for mine. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. That's exactly it. That was because that was going to be my question. Are you saying he's better based on how they've performed, or are you saying he's better based on what you think they can do at their best? Yes, the the first one of the the track record. You are listening to the Bay Fifty Three podcast. There doesn't seem to be be a week that goes by. It doesn't matter what happens with the men's team, whether we're good, whether we're bad, whether we lose, whether we win, whether we lose well, whether we lose badly. The coach is always in the wrong. Now, we've had... I mean, we've we've been sort of chatting back and forth about all things things Newcastle Knights. It really started under the O'Brien, like with the O'Brien sort of era. I, I still remember half when um, just after COVID um, sort of became a thing and we were playing that round two game in 2020 uh, against the Tigers at Leichhardt Oval at an empty stadium. And you're trying to trying to message me to calm me down, going, mate, I don't know what you're worried about. We're going to win this. And I was just sitting there beside myself with uh, concern because I was like, no, 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 this is a this is a game the Knights always lose. You know, we're 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 fixing for a choke in here that the Tigers are going to run over the top of us. But so the reason I mentioned that is that we've really known each other from a football perspective only under the the Brown, uh, sorry, the only under the O'Brien era. But we've certainly reminisced, fondly or otherwise, um, about more recent years. So, so all the chats, all the discussions that we've sort of had when it comes to footy, has been about O'Brien. Now we're sort of back and forth. I'm I'm still keeping my stock in O'Brien, but it, an interesting topic really has sort of started to rear its head in terms of where this team is at and what we think this team is capable of but also what we think the problems are. Is it poor coaching or is it a lack of effort? Now, Bredo, you as my my esteemed co-host, I'm going to bring you in on this. Are the players not putting in enough or is O'Brien coaching them incorrectly? So my perspective on this is, the, I, for some I'll say I don't think the attack style is correct. I think, you know, for three years now, our attacks look blunt at best most of the time. But I don't think that's poor coaching. I think that's attention to detail from the players because my perspective, like watching it live from our position, um, 
the, the too often guys are in the wrong position on the field. So O'Brien will say how they've trained really well all week. You know, as we know, they have the drones above. They literally watch and they, you know, they plot where every man's standing when they're training the drills and stuff. So he knows the guys know where to be because they've literally been there every day for week after week after week. And yet we watch it, mate. Guys are half a step back where they should be. They'll run on the inside shoulder when they should be running on the outside shoulder. A, a half a look like he's throwing a bad pass because it's gone on the ground, but it's actually because he doesn't need, he doesn't think he needs to look because he knows where the man will be and the man's simply not there. To me, that's effort. That's putting in when you when you're under fatigue, putting that bit of mental effort to be where you should be. I don't okay. think you can buy the cage for that. Okay, now I want to before I before I throw over to you, Harv, I want to clarify something with you, Bredo, because this term effort gets thrown around a lot. Every fan who watches rugby league will tell you, all I want to see is effort. The boys didn't give any effort today. I'm starting to get the feeling though that the word effort means different things to different people. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I want you to t- I want you to say to me when you say that there is a problem with the effort that these players are putting in. What do you mean by that? Is it a, is it a desire? Is it what they want to do? Is it a lack of? Uh, is it because they don't know what they're doing? Is it because they can't be bothered? Talk to me when you say effort in these players. What are you talking about? To me, effort is mental strength. It's it's the mental strength and desire to be where you need to be, and be willing to put your body through hell to be there. We don't do that enough. Is it because we, they can't do it, or because they don't no, want to do we it? We absolutely can do it. We absolutely can do it. Because I see it all the time. We see it all the time with KP. There's how many times does KP look sharp? And we've just gone, man, if there was only one guy in that gap, or man, if there was only one guy off his hip. The coaches see that. Like, that happens week after week. You can't tell me that a professional coaching staff are producing that to the players saying, look, someone needs to be there. I know you're tired, but someone simply has to be there. And no one is there week after week, year after year. That's mental effort. That's the ability to go, well, I'm buggered. But there's a real chance the KP might get an arm free here. I'm just going to loom up just in case. We never do that ever. That's not coaching. That's that's mental strength and desire to win the game of football. All right, Harvey, I'll, I'll bring you in here, mate, because I, I want to give you the opportunity to. I'm and I'm assuming you're going to counter that. I, I actually don't know what you're going to say, but I'm sort of. Tell me your perspective on this. Tell, like you're one because yours is an opinion. When it, when it comes to the rugby league, certainly when it comes to the Newcastle Knights, I personally... His analysis on vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, your your analysis of the game is a, 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 is a perspective that I, I always miss. And so I want to bring you in at this point because you know that I probably lean towards where Bredo's coming from in terms of putting responsibility for the results on the players but I, I sort of know from past, you've got a different perspective of it. Take, take the floor, mate. Yeah, no worries. Um, so I think uh, when we had this conversation, it, it happened before the game yesterday. Yes. Um, which did actually have some impact on my uh, my, my take on, uh, you know, how much of it is a coaching issue, how much of it is a personnel issue. Um my frustration with the team this year is sort of based around like um so uh, the good teams when they move the ball upfield um when they get into the attacking zones there's constant ball movement um you know through the middle third um 
in the red zone. Like, I, I guess what um the the summary is you don't see that many settlers from the good teams. Like players run in pairs. Um, there's very there's not too many instances of just chucking the ball to you know the biggest prop, having him run into the line and get tackled by five blokes, and you know slow down, etc. Um, if you want to be a good team in the modern NRL, you have to move the ball a bit more, and you have to um, you have to have sort of everyone understanding their role, hitting their lines, etc. Um, and watching the team this year, it has felt like what, however, it's being drilled into them, um, it's just not it's not clicking. Um, but then watching the the first half yesterday, there was actually that sort of bit of ball movement. Uh, things were a bit quicker, sharper, um, until sort of the the second half came along. Uh, you had some of the the bench players on the field, and Canberra. Uh, I think um, you saw like in the 50th minute, Jacob Saifidi came back on after they after the um, Raiders scored two quick tries to open mm-hmm. the second half. Yep. That kind of tells you, I think, a fair bit about, you know, where um, the coaching staff thinks things the issue lies. Certainly, like uh, as soon as you take JSAF off, the sort of middle defense falls apart and you um, lose control of the ruck. Um, but yeah, in the second half, I'm so, sorry, I'm sort of rambling a bit here. The That's half, all right. Canberra, I'm, follow, I'm I'm here for it. Go. Canberra sort of really started to apply a bit more physical pressure, and it just felt like Clune, Milford, and I guess the middle forwards as well. Like they went into their shells a bit, and they didn't quite understand how to execute the same game plan when that pressure was being applied. Um, and the moves that the club is looking to make, sort of. You know, from from what we've heard, the players that they're looking at are guys who are sort of mid twenties, uh, coming up on either you know a hundred, hundred or so games of NRL experience. In the case of Garrick, um, two hundred for Brooks, but Brooks plays a little bit like a guy who's been playing NRL for for ten games. <laughs> but but um. Gamble, I think, has played, you know, about 50 Q Cup games, about 20 um, NRL, uh, 20 games in the NRL. Um, mm. And one thing you kind of say about both both those guys, in, in neither case are they, you know, really elite um, top-level top talents, but what they've shown is whatever their, their role is in a team, they sort of understand where they should be, what lines they should hit, where you know where where we should move the ball because that's the, that's the thing that really stood out with Garrick this year when he was moved to fullback. Um, the previous instances where he's played there, he has looked a bit clueless. But this year, deputising for Turbo, he's ran very nice lines and chipped in really well in their their backline movements. So, so hang on. So I want to I want to pull you. I just want to stop you for a moment there. So, are you sort of saying? You're of the opinion that the coaches have decided that the cattle they've got can't do what they want them to do, so they're just going to bring the people in that can. Yeah, that's sort of my read on it at the moment, that there's a, I guess, uh, a decent subsection of the team uh, who don't quite have the, I guess, the footy smarts, to to put it as bluntly as possible, to Mm. 
um, to execute on a on a level we need to really be competitive. But again, so but again, I go back to the I, I go back to this effort v coaching thing. So is that a coaching problem though, or is that a personnel problem, or is it both? Um, I think the the way that we've tried to play this year. Um, the way that sort of the, the team gets downfield and then they get into the red zone and everyone sort of fans out into their, their block shapes. Mm. There's, you know, a lot of structure and it's the kind of thing that if you can do it really like really well at pace um, and everyone sort of knows, you know, we get ourselves to this spot on tackle three and then pull the trigger. If it's really quick, play the ball like that, that sort of understanding doesn't really seem to be there. At the moment, see my my question um, there. My question there would be, so you're right. Our, our, our we get straight into our block plays. We run it through the routine ad nauseum. Do you think that's a result of the coach recognizing that we don't actually have the footy smarts, or we don't actually have guys that can read the play, read the numbers, get the ball to the right areas? So he's essentially putting him in a position where, well, I'll make it as simple as possible for you guys because I don't think you can actually pull off the game plan. Yeah, I mean, certainly the way we we cut the ball downfield with <laughs> um, with the a lot of run out one out running and uh, the way they sort of take a couple settlers to get things going. Um, I mean, the way that definitely the fact that we use um, a, we've pretty much always tried to have a ball playing thirteen on the field because you're 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 of the opinion like Kurt Mann is out. Uh, you're you're sort of of the opinion whatever it is that we're trying to achieve, the answer isn't Kurt Mann. I've I've got that right, haven't I? Who do you think starts the thirteen next year, Harvey? Adam Elliott. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think. So I you think, think Adam Elliott is a bench player. I think so. I think Elliott. Well, again, it's that classic thing of you know Simi Sasagi's uh, twenty. Um, he's played you know ten. 10, 10 games in the in the NRL and before that he missed so much footy. He you know he has the he has the tools you can see it, but then you got. Adam you don't think there's a temptation to put Elliot on an edge and Simi at lock. I I think the temptation might be there. I think it's there's a decent chance sort of Elliot gets moved around and that's part of why they want him. He's he's the Mitch Barnett role now where he plays edge and middle depending on what's needed. Yeah, except I think he's a. A bit. I think he's got his head screwed on a bit better. Oh, he's a better player than Mitch Barnett. I don't yeah. doubt that at all. But um, <laughs> I mean, if you watch Canberra on the weekend, you did see Elliot getting into getting into first receiver a lot and sort of being used in that that link role we've tried to use Kurt Mann in. I must admit, in he's, that, um, in he, he, sorry, he's he's um run at hooker to be sharp up his ball skills. He's um you you always had a bit of you know a bit of ball ball skill, but the, you know the time he's obviously trained at hooker, he's actually yeah his his ball skills and his ability to identify numbers has really improved out of sight this season. I think. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're sort of we're starting to meld naturally into the game, the men's game, which sort of makes sense. So we'll 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 take it take it back a step and hit hit the the game head on. Um. It was a great start by the Knights yesterday. It was a very un-Newcastle-esque start, particularly with what we've seen at home other than beating the two teams below us uh, on the ladder. We came out firing. Like we were we – were, we, you, like I said, Brett, I always say to you, you can always tell from the first hit-up whether we're on or not. We were definitely on from the first hit-up yesterday. 
uh, and we went out and scored the first try. And we scored a good try as well. It was clear that the boys were up for the game um, from kickoff. Yeah, I don't know where that energy come from, to be honest with you, whether it was the um, the fact that we had some debutants or it was a Sunday crowd and they, for some reason they decided to be up for it. I don't know, but you're right. We, we, we come out with energy. We even had some energy in the warm-up, which is very unlike us. Um, but that that first try was slick. It was really mm. nice hands. And I was like, oh, this this could be on you today. Mm. Huh? I was I was excited. I think Mappa Palangi, that we've got a player there. The the way I think um it looks relatively simple is assist there, but I think if you know if you watch it again, it looks um it was more impressive than it actually looks because you can sort of see him as the ball's coming to him, he changes his line a, a bit, the, the sort of the way Ponga did when uh yeah. when he came to us. Because I think Brody didn't quite nail his decoy line and Mappa playing he sort of had to shift the angle of his run before he received the ball to, to, to get on his outside shoulder. And he just very classy, very natural. He's but, definitely a footy player. Like there's, oh yeah. there's just, there's no doubt about it. He looks natural um, with the ball in his hands, but more probably than you do. Half time yesterday, K-Dog, when I, you know, when I sort of say on the replay, you can see his eyes and he actually has the ability to look at the defender and know exactly when that pass should be thrown. Because even though it looks like he's got quite quick hands, he doesn't immediately throw the ball. He actually waits until the defender is in the perfect position where he's committed enough but can't quite get a hand on it. So it was just, yeah, a bit of skill that we haven't seen and I don't think Brabham Best actually possesses. Nah, Brabham Best is a bit more of a... Bit more of a battering ram. <laughs> yeah, no, that was exactly the term that sort of came to my mind as well. Um, it, yeah, but it, it, look, that, that was the thing. It was exciting watching that backline move. Like the passes were going where they want to, and I sort of, and I don't want to harp on about this too much, but I, I have said this before: is that like that team that was out there? No, I, I don't think a debutante should make that much of a difference to to fluid ball movement. The way we move that ball movement, it was it was exact 180 degrees in quality in terms of some of the ball movement that we've seen in attacking plays in the past. And that's that that's yesterday was the reason why I've just started to think more and more there's been an intent behind not landing a lot of these passes because they're so off the mark compared to how well the ball was being moved yesterday. Yeah, the the only uh, unfortunate thing in that play for me was that uh, a, a fairly big part of uh, why we looked so sick, uh, slick, sorry, was Anthony Milford's sort of run through the middle, drawing in multiple defenders, and uh, he will not be here next yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> he's gone next year. He's yeah. gone next year. Um, the Raiders did manage to sort of get back through Christian Sebastian Chris. Um, I mean. Uh, yeah, like it. I'm reluctant to lay the boot into Dane Gagai. He's sort of he's a, he's a great. He's a probably going to be a legend of the game. He's he's done it all. He's um he's 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 achieved um almost everything the game has to offer. But my word, Chris made him look. He made him look just like like an amateur. He barely laid t- hands on him at the end. Yeah, that's the sad thing. He barely actually managed to lay hands on him. He um, yeah, it was it, that's right in front of us and. From the moment Chris got the ball, nothing was happening, but he was scoring. Yeah, you have, you just absolutely knew that Dane wasn't going to get a piece of him. I, I will say in his defense a little bit, um, the, the the men inside him did not slide 
particularly well. So he was well, he was see, definitely on an island. <laughs> see that, and that's the thing though. That's actually what I why I'm always reluctant to lay the boot in too much because we have discussed before the importance of that edge being your winger, your center, your back, your edge back rower. And there was a last minute change on the day because yes. um, Tyson Frizzell uh, was injured in the warm up. Which is why Oren Keeley got his um, got his debut off the bench, but that then put Croker up into the. Where did that put Croaks? Hang on, who was? He, yeah, he started on the right edge. edge. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. So again, you sort of you you want to point out like this keeps happening too regularly to Dane Gagai, but again we go back to he's he's yet to really get any sort of consistent um, defensive partnering out on that edge you sort of don't know how much is his fault versus him trying to cover for that lack of that that lack of cohesion that's happening to, out there on the right. I don't disagree with that, but to me that's happened too consistently this year. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Like I, I agree with the combinations and yeah, you know, our, our edge defence as a whole is atrocious. But too often this year he's just missed one on one tackles. And that and even though he yeah, he was slightly sort of in, inside where he would, would be Ideally, the edge would work properly, and he sort of and Chris was able to get to his outside. But you're an Origin centre; you should be able to adjust enough and get not, and even not necessarily knock him over, but at least slow him down enough where someone can help you. Whereas Gags barely laid a glove on him. Hmm. Harvey, it's the hardest to fit, uh, position to defend in rugby league, right, right centre, and I don't. Yeah, it. it it has seemed a lot this season that uh, it might be a little bit hard for for Gags to keep doing it at what what is he thirty one? Yeah, he's he's this side of thirty now. Yeah. Do you think he ends up on the wing next year, Harvey? Well, I think there's a good chance. I mean, he he still, you know, he still uh, makes what 150 meters a game. Still slogs his guts out in yardage, and he so I, you know I don't see why not. He cracked a hundred. He cracked a hundred on the on uh, on Sunday against the Raiders. Look, we sort of ran away with the half a little bit, and um, Anthony. Unfortunately, our conversions were what let us down. We only landed one from five. He was but... striking him okay too. It's not like he was dogging him. He was striking him yeah. okay, but he could yeah, not to go over. Um, two, a, a, a first half double to Edric Lee, a first half double to Dominic Young. Jaden Braley capped off the half with the one try that we did manage to convert. Um, don't, don't miss the headline of that try, mate. Matthew Croker in open space. Oh, croaks. <laughs> 16,000 over characters is pregnant immediately. <laughs> but, I mean, it was like it, it, you don't want to call it a complete performance because the Raiders did land two tries of their own. But there was that sort of, again, for, I, I just I can't think of a better, better way to describe it. There was that energy and effort that you just felt had been lacking in so many games previously where the boys felt like they were applying themselves the way that we sort of thought they were going to do a lot more consistently throughout the year. Um, just quickly before I hand over to you for, for your thoughts on the first half, Harvey, um, Edric Lee really can score from anywhere. I mean, literally, he sort of he was well short of the line for his second one and he um, just had to reach out and plant the ball in the line. Are we going to miss him next year? Is, are we? Is he going to be a big loss, or is he making the best of what he's got and getting ready for the Dolphins? And we're going to have that covered. We're going to have our our, our centers and wings covered next year. Well, we've got a, a lot of centers and wingers on the in the on the books. Mm. Um, 
I do reckon he was probably the second best winger we've got. So <laughs> he's definitely a loss. Um, but, you know, there's the, he has had issues with his body. Um, so it's, it's not hard to see why if, you know, if a good offer came in from the Dolphins, the club might uh, not feel too confident about matching it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love Edric as a player, so I'll miss him. Um, I hope he goes well. Uh, if he goes well, I won't, I won't have that bitter sort of, uh, we let him go and now he's great feeling. I'll just yeah, I know, I know, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah or at least like... if he doesn't go well, I won't have the satisfaction like when Robbie Rocco left and uh, his career petered out. Uh, great, um, great player, great bloke. I hope he kills it. I just love the game. But more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of Rugby League or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. Unique, affordable and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's Tees. Newcastle are the premiers! Bredo, you were saying to me at halftime, first try in the second half wins this, and you were spot on. Sebastian Chris came out. Um, it was clear that the, the shuffling at the back, it just meant that our back line just didn't know who was supposed to be going after the ball, and the Raiders capitalised, and you just you, you felt the momentum shift. That, that was the momentum shift where really you just felt the, the result was only going to go one way. Yeah, and that's classic Canberra. You know, they're, they're 40 minutes of good football in them each week. Um, but the, and the reason why they do that is because Canberra have an ability to have good enough to for 60 or 70, or they'd be, you know, they'd be Penrith-like. But they can play outstanding physical football for 15 to 20 minutes. And that's what they did. They just went bang, bang, bang. And credit to our boys, we rallied. But Canberra had all the momentum at that stage. Mm. Um, I want to take you boys through, you know, I'm big on my running meters. Um, Christian Mappapalangi was actually the only one from the back five that didn't crack 100. Tex Hoy, 197. Um, he's having a cracking season. I'm really hoping, like, sorry, no, I'm not hoping. I'm looking forward to what he's going to do uh, over in the Super League next year. Look, Clem got his regulation uh, 165. He, he, he smashed it with the post-contact meters as well. This is where I start to get a little bit concerned, though, is that Brody Jones, 94, yeah, not too bad. Jacob Safidi, 116, yeah, that's pretty good. But then it really does trail off. Crossland, 31, okay, you're, he's a utility limited. Solo, 51, Sasagi, 27, Croaks, 47. It felt like Croaks did more than that. The team, did the team tire? Croaks only got 47, about 30 of those in one run, wow. <laughs> I, think, I think that's just a... Uh... That's just a reflection of the fact that, you know, he's a middle forward. You'd usually expect to play 20 minutes a game. And he's, you know, filling in as an emergency back rower. I'm sure the the director from the coach was just, you know, just keep moving, make your tackles. But but that's the thing. Did that did that cost us in the second half? Because like you said, we like Canberra were always going to come out in that second half and try and lift to chase the game. Mm-hmm. And it was like we just didn't have that other level. But not only did we not have that other level we started to regress because like you said, we didn't know how to play when the game was being brought to us. So yeah. was that, again, was that, how do I sort of put this? I'm, again, I'm not trying to get back to the earlier conversation, but is that, 
Could we approach that a bit differently? Is that something we could have done differently at halftime to prepare us for a better second half to maybe get the win? Um, I don't want to... We don't wanna... care if we're smart with. Canberra went yeah. physical when our bench forwards are on there. Guys yeah, like that Hudson Young absolutely mauled the kids. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm Maitland's own Hudson Young. I'm sick of the sight of that bloke after he <laughs> broke our hearts in the first game. Oh, my mm. God. I, nothing hurts me more than seeing a Maitland boy absolutely rubbish the shreds, and he owns us, <laughs> absolutely owns us. Yeah, that, that's kind of the story of the game. I think if if DSAF was fit, things might have gone differently. Um, but in that uh, period to start the second half, you could sort of see what, what was happening um, or at least the coach understood what was happening because JSF came back on, you know, 10 minutes into the second half where usually it'd be held back until about minute 60. Um, but yeah, the the big difference on the night is they, you know, they had Papali, Tapane, Hudson Young, Adam Elliott all fit and Emre Gula also had a big game off the bench. And the options we have in our depth forwards just couldn't really match it with them in the middle. And just when they, uh, they turn the pressure up, they just smashed us. I, I look uh, at that game. And as you, as you know, on the pot, I've been Pasami solo fanboying lately. And to me, his effort was outstanding again, but I actually seen why the club are iffy on him. Yeah. He's not physically strong enough in the middle. When yeah. Campbell was going hard, he was getting absolutely cleaned out. And he was yeah. running hard. And there was no worry about his effort, but he just physically couldn't match them. So I think that's where the club are going. Well, maybe you're just not the right body for NRL football. Yeah, and Jesse Jesse Sue as well was uh was a Oh mate, Jesse Jesse Sue in that Jesse Sue off the side. Jesse Sue was down on his haunches, sucking air in after ten minutes. Mm. That threw our entire rotation out. They had to bring him off after about sixteen or seventeen minutes because he couldn't move because he's mm. played so you know so much reserve grade this year. Um, yeah, he was absolutely shot to bits after ten minutes. Jack, I mean Jack White scores the the winner in the seventy first in the seventy first minute. Um, when you think about it, in the second half, we really didn't have like we had no field position. Like I, I sort of got set halfway through the second half, and I said to my cousin, I was like, "Look, I mean, we haven't done much well with the ball when we have had it, but even when we have had the ball, we haven't really ever been in any position to sort of use it." Um, Eddie sort of, you know, tried to get the miracle miracle try at the end with his reach out. He, the ball touched the corner post. Uh, sorry, the yeah, the corner post. So, you know, that was that was out. I mean, the way we'd been kicking, that was going to be another sideline conversion. This is going to sound weird, but it's sort of... I can understand... Again, I can understand where O'Brien was coming from in his presser, sort of praising the effort and saying he was happy with the application. I mean, at the end of the day, it was a six-point loss to a team that's chasing finals. We're really a team that had nothing to play for other than pride. And you look at some of the other results over the weekend, the way it could have gone, it was, it was a loss that was, again, hard to take, but not as hard to take as some of the other losses that we've experienced at home so far. Yeah, um, the effort was definitely there. Um, one thing that would have been really useful in that um, second half would have been a, a half with a, a bigger boot and a better feel for sort of when to when to just hoof it down the other end early in the tackle count, get it uh, and, you know, get the boys sort of 
uh, chinned up for a a big chase and just try and wrestle something back um, physically. But that, yeah, that didn't really happen. And it, it, it just did seem like they were just shell shocked. Hey, bef- boys, before we, um, before we do jump off the men's game um, and get on to much, much more fun topics to talk about, some of your thoughts on, or at least any random thoughts that come to mind over some of the results over the weekend. I mean, it's it's one of the histor it's historically the the um biggest weekend of blowouts in the history of in the NRL era. Um, I'm still sort of shocked by the seventy two to six that the that the Roosters handed out to the Tigers. We, we knew the Tigers were bad, but I I didn't see that coming. It, it, either of you? That was disgraceful. How many of those tries as well did were conceded just straight through the middle, just like simple hit ups. I mean, I, I know those fans have put up with a lot, Tigers fans, but it, it felt like a new low. They just, no effort at all. Pathetic. It's, I, will, I will say about the blowouts, the interesting thing for me is that um, how many teams at the bottom of the table have, it's not the right word, but essentially given up on their seasons. Mm. Like there's so many now where a guy's got a niggle, they're like, we're just out for the season. Oh, that guy's going to need ankle surgery. We'll just get him get his surgery now. Oh, that guy's got a sniffle. We'll sit him out. Like yeah. some of those teams you couldn't even recognize. The, the mm. Tigers are, are learning out first choice players. Yeah. Or yeah, letting like, Luciano yeah, yeah, Le exactly Lua leave right. halfway yeah. through the year. Yeah. 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 You know, and Manly, like you can't tell me all those, all those Manly guys that suddenly pulled out in the last week. Oh, they couldn't play. Yeah. They wanted to play. Is this just quickly? Is the season too long? Then is is twenty four round? I mean, twenty four rounds sort of feels about. So how long do you think it should be? It's always been too long. Should, I, I I think it should be twenty rounds. Harvey, but the problem yeah. is when you've got with the amount of teams, like you can't you can't make a twenty round competition with the amount of teams we've got. We've either got too many or not enough. You well, either need. Thing, you know, enough team, sort of twenty teams that have nineteen rounds, or you sort of need to have, uh, like you know, twelve teams that have twenty-two rounds or something. Yeah. Well, if you want to stop people complaining about the draw, when it's seventeen years, uh, seventeen teams next year, sixteen rounds, everyone yeah. plays each other once. Quit your bitching. <laughs> yeah. Um. But but it's just. The, the, the problem the problem for me is it's not only the amount of rounds, it's the fact that there's no for the for the for the top players there's no rest. So even and now and now even for the middle ranked and lower players there's no rest because they specifically test that everyone loves. Most of those teams are full of, are full of guys from the lower teams because they're better the better clubs all their best players are playing Origin. So those specific teams are full of guys that you know play for your your Tigers your Warriors. You know, all those sort of clubs. Yeah. Um, just quickly, we're off to we're off to Seabus Stadium um, next week. We never play well up there. I, I, have we have we beaten the Titans up at Seabus yet? Anyway, yeah, um, I think um, a, a couple of years ago we beat Canberra there last year. <laughs> we did, we did. Um, I think uh, at the end of twenty nineteen, we we beat them like thirty eight to six or something. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? I know that we yeah. beat them at home thirty. I know that we beat them on Old Boys Day in twenty nineteen because that was Christian Wolf's one win. But but I thought I thought we got towed up in twenty nineteen up at um up at uh, the Gold Coast. Anyway. Yeah, we, we did. We got absolutely 
Frog killed on um, Easter Sunday, and I remember that because oh yeah, yeah no, I was wrong. That was a home game. Got towel up on Easter Sunday. Yeah, we won a home the game. game. Did everything wrong. We dropped the ball. They run away. That game. Yes, the worst game ever. <laughs> I think I was in Melbourne for the for the 2019 uh, loss to the Titans, and I managed to run into the one Gold Coast Titans fan that exists outside of the Gold Coast, and he was in Melbourne. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle have won the grand final. Let's do something we very rarely get to do on this pod, and we haven't been able to do Oh, It's questionable whether we've been able to do it at all this year. Let's not only talk about a Newcastle Knights win, let's talk about a Newcastle Knights win at home against a very, very, very good team. Ladies and gentlemen, the uh, NRLW Newcastle Knights are off the board, not only for season 2022, but in the club's history, recording their first ever win in the NRLW, 32 points to 14 over the Brisbane Broncos. And I think it's fairly safe to say, boys, that the halfback question that the Newcastle Knights have been trying to answer for the last 15 years has finally been answered, and it's been answered by a young woman of the name of Jessie Southwell. How good was footy on Sunday night to see that performance by the Newcastle Knights? I had a look at the uh, the calendar before we had a chat. The, uh, the season just changed. It was winter. Now it's big girl season. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this today. Are we, are we allowed to say that? It's sort of, but no, you're because you're absolutely right. It is one hundred. The season certainly has um, has changed. It is uh, it is very much big girl season, and uh, and I am all for it. Love it. You know, you know what is amazing about that performance that. We not only won the game of football, we won the game of football, played really good football. Like, mm. we've had some the, – the, the men have won this year. But it, you never really walked away and went, oh, that was really good to watch, really exciting football. It was so good to watch a good win and good football. And it was good from the get-go as well. It was yeah. sort of – it's not like – like, it was so bizarre to watch a Newcastle Knights team that, like, they were, they were just on from the kickoff. And when Jesse scored that first try as well, like they didn't, it it was a complete performance. It was a 70 minute, but it was a full game performance. They played for the full 70. They didn't drop in and out of the game. The Broncos were always going to come back as they did. But when the Broncos scored, we scored in response almost immediately. And we always maintained that buffer. It was just such a complete performance to watch. Um, Brett, I'll throw it to you, mate, because you've been watching rugby league a lot longer than myself and Harvey. When Jesse scored that opening try, tell me, just tell us some of the thoughts that were going through your head and why you were reminded of Andrew Joey Johns. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, like, is the footwork. We all look at the footwork and the Ponga-like footwork. And your your tweet from the Bay 53 account was perfect today because she's got the Ponga footwork, but she's got the drawn strength. Mm. Like, that's the thing you notice about her. She's all hips and legs, you know. Like, she just drives through tackles. And that That's the thing about the step. She doesn't just step. She actually steps and drives forward. Yes. makes it almost impossible to tackle one-on-one. Um, yeah, that, that first try just – it was jelly all over, wasn't it, you know? It was a half step, a bit of power through a tackling straight over. I enjoyed um, Millie Boyle's description of Jesse Southwell. 
she called her across I think between, he was that one. Yeah, she called her across between Hannah Southwell and Tamika Upton. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good call. That yeah, that but, is a good call. Um like I said, the, the Broncos sort of came back. Uh, Autumn Rain Stevens Daly with the greatest hyphenated um seasonal name in the history of sport. Uh she scored a blinder sort of well no, she she great finish out on the edge. But again, it was uh, it was that Southwell name. Look, boys, unfortunately for the great, but also the unfortunate reasons as well, that sort of had the biggest impact uh, on the second on, in, in that first half. Bredo, Hannah Southwell has played every minute of professional rugby league that's probably been available in the game in Australia over recent years. Uh, yeah, it's. She couldn't. She couldn't see out the first half for the Newcastle Knights. It was. Uh, yeah. How do I say this? It was. It the was. Curse, sh- the, curse, the curse is real. It's the curse was she literally real. stepped forward, slipped on a slippery bit of turf, and just sort of slid a foot forward like everyone does every morning in their bathroom, and and has likely done her ACL. The curse is real. The only now, problem was the jersey numbers got mixed up, and she was in thirteen, not nine. now harvey you and i was like you sorry you were sort of uh, messaging us back and forth a little bit after the game last night and i I saw something that you mentioned now i I, because i probably missed the timeline a little bit but you are right like the test that she did on the field indicated that not only was the damage not significant but she almost played out the, the the rest of the half i'm just trying to Find out when it was that she eventually yeah, she came off with two minutes to go in the right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So she she, she played off, couldn't move, and like it locked up on her. Yeah, so you sort of, I guess what I'm saying, trying to say is that for Knights fans, there actually is still hope. And I mean, we're recording; we haven't heard anything sort of well since we started. But there actually is hope for Hannah Southwell's season given that she did seem to pass those on-field tests and she played out the rest of the half. Yeah, I mean, that's the the hope we're clinging to at the moment, that she did something to her knee. They did the on-field tests, and usually they're pretty good at telling um, if um, if someone's done their ACL with those uh, on-field tests and they let her keep playing. And you couldn't... I don't think you could tell that she'd hurt herself. Like, if you... If you had told me that she had, I wouldn't have believed you. So hopefully she's okay. <laughs> the, the thing is, but because the season's so short, she's only got to done an, done an MCL and she's likely yeah. to miss the rest of the season anyway. Yeah, my, my hope is she's done an MCL or a PCL and she's back for the World Cup. That That's me. That's the hope I'm clinging to. Okay. Well, the hope I'm clinging Gentlemen. to is that uh, her knees are magical and uh, <laughs> she'll be fine. <laughs> Okay, gentlemen, I can tell you she's still waiting on scans. Um, Hannah Southwell's World Cup ambitions hinge on a knee injury suffered during what was an historic occasion for the Newcastle Knights. So this is being reported by Josh Callanan in the Newcastle Herald. Um, Club officials are hoping for, you know, they're still hoping for the best but fearing for the worst as they prepare to name their team tomorrow. There are concerns mainly, they say the concerns are still around the ACL. Yeah, so we still don't know. Um, Look, but it's, imp- but it's interesting, lost- Buck, because normally ACL is bang. They know they know almost straight away. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's probably the biggest. I mean, as always with nights, we, we always do things differently. We like to add a bit of theatre to theatre to it. But that's all. But like that's that's the weird thing about this one, isn't it? Is that normally you know straight away, but with the Newcastle Knights player, no, we, we're going to keep you. Um, we're going to keep you in suspense. Now, Hannah did herself a mischief. I want to talk about because it's funny what you said before, um, Brado, about the, what made up um, Jesse Southwell as a as a halfback, but. I think what she did in the lead up to the the Romy Teitzel try, that to me, like that the, that to me was the was was what made me think of Kaylin and Joey because she breaks, you know, she she breaks the line in her own half, but it's the step on the Broncos fullback to take that ball another 10, 15 meters. That to me was just when you sort of knew you were watching something special because. When you look at like I've I've watched the replay on the NRL online uh, Twitter account several times since they posted it, and that step she puts it like you perfectly describe it that step that she puts on the fullback to get that extra space, she doesn't just step but she drives off the step to make it look like the the fullbacks just clutching it at thin air. It 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 was. But it was that power as well to break free from tackles. And, oh, it was just, it was just the whole package. It was, like I said, we, we haven't seen a, a halfback in red and blue perform like that in, uh, in 15 years. It was awesome to watch. But the thing that impressed me about that break was the composure at the end of it. You think mm. a 70-year-old with a crowd cheering for, you know, the team in front, she could quite easily have overplayed a hand there and kick for a winger or try to cut yeah. out pass or anything. But she didn't. She's tucked it under her arm and knew that if I get, get hit the ground, get a quick play of the ball, we'll score the next play. And we did. Yeah, we got a – I think um, I wanted to give Ronnie a pat on the back as well for um, how she played because uh, – one thing I sort of observed, it's very common in the, the women's game for the seven in every team to sort of be a really dominant on-ball player. Um, I, I do think Jessie's role was simplified a little bit and she spent sort of most of her time playing on that channel on the right-hand side. Um, there was always, you know, before she got the ball, there was always a, a decoy usually from like Caitlin Johnson or someone to sort of give her a little bit more time and space. So set up to succeed with that running game and, you know, just, as you can see, give her a little bit of space and, you, you know, you're dead. You barbecue chicken. And um, I was to really me, it felt to, like how the Roosters you know, are with Sam Walker. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, just like we know what she can do, she, but she's 17 years old, so we're going to uh, put her in the frame to to look as good as possible rather than sort of... I don't know, put too much on her shoulders. It's funny what you say about her being... Yeah, yeah. So- we, 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 we were going to win or lose on the back of her. That was, that was yeah. the gameplay, you know. A lot, a lot of a lot of you're right, a lot of NRLW teams basically win, win or lose on the back of their hooker and their halfback. Mm. And that wasn't our game plan at all. Mm. It's funny what you say about her only being four, uh, sorry, 17 because, uh, as you were reminding me, Bredo, the club went through the um, the Joseph... Uh, sorry, I, I missed the pronunciation. What's the, what's the correct pronunciation? Well, anyway, the young so Joseph... Ali. Yeah, Swali. I think it's Swali. Swali. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I got it wrong. (laughs) Um, Who uh, they had to go through the special exemption process to get him signed. They did the same thing with Jesse um, Jesse Southwell. I was talking with statue guy earlier today who um, 
who uh, got a message. How from, is he? Zero? Um, oh, he's still in one piece. You know, he's um, he's uh, he's getting a bit frustrated at uh, chasing uh, chasing the SCG trust a fair bit, but no, yeah. he's in good spirits. He's um, he's, <laughs> he's actually a punk. Yeah, how dare you, how dare you mention him to me? <laughs> Mate, don't. I, I will not hear a bad word spoken about. He's a very, he's a very thoughtful, honest, caring, genuine, and decent human being. And uh, I won't hear a word said against him. But he was speaking with um, the great man Joey earlier today, and Joey just said, "Jesse will be. She will be the best player in this competition next season. She is because she's one of the hardest workers that you've ever come across." Now, Bretto, I mentioned this to you, and you sort of, and Harvey, you agreed. That feels like you're doing a disservice to where her p- place is at this season, but there's there's a reason. There's got to be a reason for that. Yeah, it's simply because I don't think that she's prepared purely for rugby league because obviously she's just been in the Commonwealth Games. But I also think the club, as Harvey just said, the club aren't putting her in a position where she needs to be outstanding. Where the club are just going to ease her into it. And then and then let and then you know work hard throughout the off season and then let her rip next year. I think two of the pieces in the puzzle that sort of help Jesse uh, Jesse's game and look at it, it you know whether it's women whether it's men whether it's boys or it's girls rugby league is rugby league, and great halfbacks have always said they said I can only do what I can only do when I've got the forwards to lay the platform for me and. I don't think you were going to get a better pairing over the weekend than Caitlin Johnson, uh, Caitlin Johnson and Millie Boyle to lay that um, that platform for you. Can I say, and I'll, I'll hand this, I'll, I'll hand this over to the floor. Whoever wants to sort of uh, jump in here, I thought that the performance of Millie Boyle was the performance that a marquee player would want to deliver to sort of meet the hype expectations. I thought she I just thought she was sensational yesterday. I thought I thought I actually thought Millie gave Jesse a run for not just the best player in the game, but probably the best rugby league player I saw at McDonald Jones Stadium yesterday. She was phenomenal. 194 meters run, 87 post contact meters. She played um how many minutes did she play? I just had that in front of me. She played 55 out of the 70 minutes. It was just a phenomenal performance from probably the best forward in the game. She's worth two two forwards. 100%. Yep. I think they're pretty much... But you know the amazing, thing about, the amazing thing about Millie is she does all that at speed and at her size, but she actually... I don't know how to describe it. She actually run, runs the team like a halfback from the forwards, if that makes sense. You actually see her pointing, you know, she'll put players in, into their right spot. She'll actually direct the attack from the middle of the field. It's quite it's quite interesting to watch. Yeah, and um, I mean, the, there's no secret that the, the strength of this team is is the pack. And uh, the the game plan you can sort of see it from the start. I mean, we scored two barge over tries. Like we are coming for you through the middle, like the the Knights team of old. You know, mm. the, the 1988 uh, Knights. If you're gonna hang with us, if you're gonna rip in as well, you're leaving here with a few bruises. It's funny, we've, we've sort of spent the majority of the game talking about, well, predominantly Jesse Southwell. We've sort of moved on to, to Millie Boyle. In a lot of ways, I mean, first of all, Tamika Upton, probably the, the best fullback in the game. In the mo- Like, her game was overshadowed. 
But the other one I want to give a big shout out to, I thought Kira did was sensational last night. That pass she laid on in the second half, I think it was. Bobby yeah, to set for the Bobby the final try of the game, Bobby Law. I mean again, there's not there's not a player in the game, male or female, who who wouldn't be like they would just they'd see that execution and they'd just be like that, that is that is a that is an all class execution. That's not a great NRLW try. It's not a great try because a man could get it's just a great rugby league um try off brilliant execution. It was just I, I gotta be I, I gotta be honest with you. Like last night was probably some of the most fun I've had at the game because it was probably the first time and I'm talking in years here where you could just stand around with your mates, you could have a bit of a laugh, you could enjoy some good footy and your team won. Like it's been so rare that we've had the opportunity to do that because even with the fucking men's team, you can't enjoy them playing because you're waiting for them to fuck up. But it was just so it was just such a relief last night to watch the 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 NRLW team play and you could tell they were playing good football and there was no reason to think they weren't going to play good football and they kept playing good football and we were all able to enjoy it. It was a it was just a really good night out at the footy. And the the really pleasing thing was um, after the game, they like in the press conference and from a few of the players as well. The the main thing we heard from pretty much everyone was, you know, yeah, it was great to get the win, but we thought we were a bit sloppy. You know, we dropped the ball too much. We let yeah. him back into it, etc. So they don't they don't look at that performance and think, wacko, we beat the we beat the benchmark of the competition. You know, job done. We're the best. Hooray! They, they, yeah, they were not a hundred percent happy with their performance, which is really exciting for the future of this team. I have a, I have a question. Um, mm-hmm. What do we do at lock with Hannah Southwell out? Does Kira Dib go there and Caitlin Moore into the halves? What, what do we think? Um, that's what I'd lean towards, but yeah, no, I don't know. Um, the, I guess the the one worry with the squad we've got is that the uh, the depth forwards. There's a, a lot of girls who haven't played in the NRLW before, so we sort of don't know what we're what we're dealing with there. But I'm sure that I mean, with the way the team played, just like so organized. Like I mean, my favorite example was just after the Jesse Southwell try. Um, you saw Shanice Parker get into dummy half. Uh, Autumn Rain St- Stevens Daly uh, sort of slipped into center, and Romy Tytsall floats out to the wing. And they like they they were just dialed in and ready to get her one on one with the the Brisbane winger. Um, so for a team that hasn't had a trial, they are like. You can see they're all operating on the same. same yeah, way. I know what you're everyone saying. Everyone knows. Everyone knows what the game plan is out there. Everyone understands their role, and I hate um, to. So and I'm, I hate I'm to sure they thought about who who play lock. <laughs> and I, I hate to be this guy, and I, I certainly don't want to drag the conversation down. But can I can I suggest that watching how well the women performed makes the bumbling nature of the men's team even more frustrating? Because, like, they had an entire preseason and they've had 22 rounds to get it right. But as you pointed out, 
all 17 women on the field for the Knights last night, they knew where they needed to be. And then they got to the end with a big win and they said, well, we know the areas that we need to improve and we can see where we can get better. Like in 70 minutes, the women have sort of shown the way in terms of the standards that um, that we'd be that fans should be expecting of both teams that walk that represent the Newcastle I'll, Knights. I'll give you I'll give you one word that explains all of that leadership. Mm. That women's team are full of elite elite players that have been in the elite levels of the game, and they drag everyone up to their level. That's that's a Melbourne Storm type where you've got four or five absolute you know greats of the game, and it doesn't matter who fills the rest of positions in those players will come to a higher level because they get dragged to that level. And that team screamed last night of leadership because every time Brisbane tried the lift, the Knights lifted with them and it was led by those big girls, Caitlin Johnson, Millie Boyle, uh, Kira Dibb would get in there and took some hard, some hard runs. Romy Titzel, you know, she's not the captain anymore, but she still played like she was the captain. Yeah. The leadership in that team compared to the men's team is day, night and day. Yeah, they they went and got Millie Boyle for a reason mm. that goes beyond just how dominant she is yeah. physically on the field. Yeah. Do you think yeah, it made Millie, it... Millie Boyle builds the culture of the entire organization? Whether whether she stays here for you know a couple of years or she she's gone or you know she stays here for a career, she's the catalyst to build a culture, just like Glenn, Glenn Lazarus was at the Storm. Absolutely. Do you think it made any difference? Because you spotted him last night, Bretto, having Peter Parr on the bench with the women's team. What do you think? What do you think was the thinking behind that? What was Peter doing down there last night? What was the director of football trying to achieve by, you know, holding out the the um, interchange cards and, you know, running, you know, doing a whole bunch of sort of. I don't, I don't know what he was doing down there, but yeah, do you think that made any difference? Do you, it played its part? What, do you, what was it? What was the point? I think I think the idea behind that sort of stuff is, um, if it's not as it's nice of Peter Parr to just be involved in the club, so it, you know it sort of gets his face there, in, you know, thing. But I think it also shows the girls that you know you're not a different team. Like we're one club. Like the boss yep. of the club is down working with you you know, as much as he works with the men and more because he's not, you know, he's not down there doing that for the men. But and there's a lot of new girls in the club. So I think he's down there hands-on showing, you know, we're all in this together, make, you know, a face so that if, if there's any issues or the girls, you know, are homesick or whatever whatever happens, you know, in that environment, they know that's Peter and Peter's there with me. You know, I can just go and chat to him. His door's open. He's part of it. It's a really, really good statement, I think. Yeah, the, the Knights don't want to just have an NRLW side just for the sake of it. They want to be at at the forefront of the women's game. They want to be... Well, I'm sure Wes realised that they're our best chance for a premiership. Like, you know, at the end <laughs> of the day, they, they might win three or four before the men even get close to one. <laughs> I uh, I couldn't help myself last night. I, I think I said to you, Bredo, at the game, I was like, you'd think I would have learnt my lesson from the men earlier this year where you got to keep your expectations in check even if you win your first two. But, nah, fuck it. After last night, the lid is officially off. And, uh, oh, yeah. The lid's, the lid's off. It's been frisbeed. The lid is off. <laughs> Um, we go for the uh, we go for the Titans double uh, next week, and so it'll be another case of um, the, is the Knights Titans men's game at four pm? Is it? Yeah, it's the same setup, four and six. 
Oh, that is a that is an awful awful draw for Channel Nine. I feel so sorry for them <laughs> getting the fourteenth and fifteenth place teams as the marquee. So, oh, that is a terrible draw. See, they've, they've picked that game thinking the Knights and Tides will both be pushing for the edge of the eight. That's what that yeah. would be. They're thinking they're thinking they're, those two teams are probably fighting for the for eight spot or something. That, yeah, uh, I reckon we've got so many Channel Nine games at the end of the year, and I think that's 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 what they've thought. Like, uh, Lightning's going to strike twice again. The Knights are going to be trying to get to 12 wins, 12 losses. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How, I mean, okay, so, you know, the the women's team will be smart enough to put that performance behind them. Um, as you said, Harvey, they'll be looking to improve. Uh, the Titans come, came off a fairly... Um, a fairly tough loss to the Dragons yesterday, 26 to 12. They weren't uh, disgraced. Um, how, how, do you, how do you see this matchup next weekend, boys? How do you see the um, the NRLW team sort of uh, – will, will the Knights try and do more of the same will, or will they try and mix it up against the Titans team? Where, where, where does that game sort of go next Sunday night? I reckon uh... – I mean, I think the the game plan is going to be the same. Um, the I don't think the Titans played terribly um, against the the Dragons, but um, there were clearly a lot of um, a lot of problems with the uh, the systems they've tried to bet in the ball movement. They did, they made a lot of errors and. The dragons just sort of strangled them out of the game. Um, so they look like they're a work in progress. Um, their pack does not look uh, particularly great. Um, I think uh, uh, the old girl Steph Hancock's pretty good, um, but I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna have a hard time against Millie and Caitlin and Romy and many other <laughs> of our forwards. Yeah, the, we the Titans have got some strike. They got some some elite like uh, backline players. Yeah, but Felice yeah, we, we should really absolutely we should we should truck them in the middle. Mm. Steph Hancock's great, Steph, but she can't she can't control our pack rolling tackle after tackle at her. Yeah, and I think um, watching him play the Dragons, who probably have the the next best pack after ours, sort of. It's definitely made me more confident because they they have a sort of similar thing where they're just so relentless through the middle, they kick to the corners, and um, yeah, the the Titans really struggled with them. They they just did not get out of their half very often, and uh, you know unless there was a penalty, they struggled to get past halfway for most of the game. So. Um, I'm predicting, I don't know, Knights by 30 against the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, I want to give a special so shout-out. Yeah, but, but overall, Knights by 30 and that, so we'll be still with a negative 20 for the day. Yeah, we might be, <laughs> might be in the hey. negative for the day overall. Hey, boys, just before I do wrap it up on, on, the, on the women's I do want to give a special shout-out to Romy Title. I thought she was outstanding in the game, but not only just for what she did on the field, I thought for a player that was moving out of position, but also coming off a season where she probably thought she didn't live up to expectations, I thought she was phenomenal. I thought that um, that uh, don't argue 
that she um, uh, gave to that poor, poor Broncos centre to score her try. Um, I thought that was that was everything that you want from a Newcastle Knights player, um, just going out there and, sh- and showing what they're what they're really made of and, and de- delivering for the fans. I-, I swear, the Newcastle chant from the crowd last night was probably the loudest it's been all season. Yeah, I think um, I think she'll enjoy playing in our back row. Um, it would have been tough in the first season because she's you know she's. I think she hadn't played much in the NRLW before um, the start of this season. And, you know, she's not just starting at fullback for a team that uh, did struggle a bit, but she was also captain. Um, I think she did pretty well con- considering. Uh, but in this team we got now, she's sort of almost a, almost a luxury. Like she was mm. playing in the back row, but when we had the ball, she was uh, floating around in various positions and, um, oh, yeah, so you, very, you know, very that's tough job. That, Sorry, that's what I was thinking. Looking at the game, she really didn't play one position in that. You know, she really shuffled between edge, center, wing, and she just sort of picked the spot and who she wanted to run at. Yeah, absolutely. Is she a potential answer for thirteen? Then, if Hannah Southwell is out for the season, is Romy that sort of? Um, I don't. Know, I don't think a defense is strong enough to play the middle. Okay. All right. Um, actually, yeah, I think you're right because I think she was the missed tackle. She gave but, up a try. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. yeah. Boys, it, it look, it is it is nice to be excited about all things, uh, you know, something Newcastle Knights when it comes to next weekend. Um, Harvey, I think we're going to probably wrap it up for the evening. Thank you so much for jumping on with us um, to have a chat, though. Um, it's been good fun. It's 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 like I said, it's. You have a perspective on the game that always makes me think about it differently. I get I get frustrated when I don't agree with you because you're <laughs> normally naturally right. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining us to um, to have a chat about um, last weekend's um, games and, uh, and what we can look forward to next weekend. Well, um, I thought Jake Clifford would start at us for half, at halfback for the next ten years, so definitely <laughs> not always right. <laughs> Mate, you're allowed to get one uh, one wrong from uh, from time to time. Um, just very quickly though, before we do sort of sign off, boys, you know, I'll, I'll drag us back down into the mire very briefly uh, for the men's game. Are we out of the because we'll so because we'll lose to the Titans next weekend? Are we out of the wooden spoon forest yet, or are we still in the mix? Because the other thing it's worth mentioning, remembering is the Titans' points differential is officially worse than ours. Like they just that that that, um, that sixty-six point loss has pushed them their points diff and their defence below even us. So so we've sort of got that buffer there now to uh, give us a bit more protection. I think we're safe. I don't think both those teams will win two. I think well, I think the Titans might win too, but I don't think I don't think the Tigers will win too. I also think if we if we show up next week with the uh, with the effort and application we had in the first half against the Titans, um, I think the Titans might be the only side who dislike it when the other team plays really hard more than us. So. Mm. You know, if we have a go, we're every chance, then they're not very good. Oh, <laughs> they're, actually, they're, they're very beatable, very beatable. Yeah. 
Actually, because that was something. Sorry, that was actually something we forgot to mention before. Like in, in all the hype about how Christian Mapapalangi went, we actually forgot to mention the somewhat enigmatic tweet by um, Alex um, McKinnon today, saying, "Yeah, he went well, but wait until you see him play in six. Is that an added wrinkle there in terms of the Knights? I um, I've been thinking about this all night. So my take is that the way rugby league's played at the moment, the best centres are five eights. Yeah. So because the center now is the center now has become like a rugby center, where he needs to be out of ball play. Yes, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. The Bradman best, the best run over guys type. That's not what you need in the modern game. You need a Matt Burton type, you know, a Matt Gidley type, a guy that can ball play from the center position. I and I think that the coaching staff have recognised that. Yeah. The understanding he has of of the lines he needs to run and stuff and the. The timing, yeah, yeah. Of, his, because, the timing of his runs, the angle of the passes, yeah. Because yeah. ball, ball players understand lines better than the guy running the line. So if you have the physical ability to actually run that line yourself, that's perfect. Yeah, um, I think he he's only played uh, 5'8 in uh, SG ball, I think. I think all his experience in Jersey flag and New South Wales Cup is at centre, so... Um, I think yeah. Alex was probably... He moves a like a centre. He does. He moves I like think, a centre. He's got that swerve run the step. I think um, Alex was a key, probably a key part of us recruiting him, and he probably would have... You know, his eyes would have lit up watching him play 5-8 in SG ball um, as a young fellow, but it seems to me that internally the club thinks of him as a centre. Very quickly then, just I want your first answer that comes to mind. Alex, does Mapa Polangi play 5-8 for the Newcastle Knights in the NRL? Yes or no? Um, possibly, if we get into crisis. But I reckon there's, uh, on the strength of yesterday, after another, once we get another preseason to him, I reckon there's a very good chance he lines up in the centres round one next year. Bredo, does he play six or stay in centres? He may, as Alex, he may play six in the injury thing, but he'll never be a first-choice six. He'll always be. And then I think he'll start round one next year at the centre, and he'll be a first-choice left centre going forward. Watch this space, everyone. Everyone, thank you very much for listening all the way to the end. As you know, our producer, Big T, does appreciate it. The um, other people that appreciate it are myself and Bretto. You're stuck with us through this year. And the other person that absolutely does appreciate is um, uh, the managing director of A-plus Contracting and Poly Welding, who continues to show us support over this very, very long season. Thanks for coming on, mate. Bretto, it's always a pleasure, as usual, to co-host the third best Newcastle Knights thing podcast uh in um on the airwaves um uh harvey enjoy the rest of your night bretto thanks for coming along and uh yeah enjoy the rest of your week everybody no worries it was good fun thanks guys go the nights Sports Best Friends would like to thank you for listening right to the end. You are our kind of people. Find other great sports podcasts in our family by subscribing. And remember, social media isn't a bad place. You just need to follow the right people.